All right, and welcome back to the mind of Joel. Thank you, everyone, for coming back and listening to episode two. I highly appreciate you guys' support and you guys showing up. Um, I just want to go ahead and give you guys a big shout out uh, for participating, for letting me know uh, what's going on in your world and giving me good feedback. Today, we will be talking about on how to become better. So episode one, we talked about the why, talked about the philosophy and why it matters so much um, to be a better version of yourself. So today on this episode, we're going to talk about the how, which the how is the most important part. How do you get to somewhere um, without a roadmap or some type of guidance? You know what I mean? So this is what we're going to be talking about today. So to break down the overview, so today we're going to go over several different things. We're going to go over checking oneself. We're going to go over checking oneself, mindfulness, awareness, accountability, execution, Patience, self-actualization, my man Abraham Maslow, and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now, there's a lot of information we're going to cover today. Um, some really good stuff. I'm super excited. Um, I'm really, I'm really stoked for this episode. I, you know, I'm just, yeah, you, know, you can tell. I can't find the words to describe how excited I am. So. With that being said, uh, as a disclaimer, um, I'm not a licensed uh, mental health counselor, a physician of any sort. I'm not a psychologist. I have a bachelor's in psychology, um, a little bit of grad school under my belt, but I am not by any way, shape, or form um, licensed or certified um, in any state, unfortunately. So everything I'm bringing to the table today is research that I've done, uh, from my, um, I've done myself from college textbooks that I have still have, um, the internet and my own personal stories. So with that being said, um, just use it at your discretion. Again, this is opinions backed with facts, research, um, and passion, obviously. So use it at your own will. If you want to use it, uh, feel free, um, using your own way, using your own discretion, I highly encourage you, if you guys just, you know, there's this fire underneath you after this episode, I really encourage you to think about seeking some type of professional services, um, such as a mental health counselor, um, a mentor, or a coach that will kind of help you along this journey. Um, I mean, reach out to me if you have questions. I can guide you to the right resources. If you are fired up by this episode, Please check out psychologytoday.com and type in your zip code. That zip code will bring up a lot of are your local mental health counselors in your area. Um, I've used it before. It breaks down their the insurance, what they use, um, their costs, their preferred um, psychoanalysis. There's a lot to it, a lot of good information. Um, so, yes. If you need anything like that, please, um, I highly encourage that. Jump in. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask for help, most importantly. Um, we're here to be better. We're here pushing ourselves. There's no shame in the game of asking how to be better or, you know, 
seeking some type of additional help, even if you don't think it's that severe or, you know, it's not severe at all. And you're just looking for a mutual person to kind of help you through this journey. Just quick shout out to all my mental health counselors. You guys are super duper awesome. Everything you do, don't, don't stop, you know, keep pushing, keep, keep striving to be the best counselor you can be. Yeah. Thank you for what you do. So on that note, I'm just going to go ahead and jump in right into the meat and potatoes of everything. And we're going to talk about self-actualization and Abraham Maslow. So for starters, I'm going to break down who coined the term self-actualization. So my main man, Fritz, a.k.a. Frederick Pearl, he is the founder of Gestalt Psychology. He is a very eccentric man, very interesting He's one of the pioneers of the humanistic psychology approach, our humanistic movement in psychology. For those of you that don't know, psychology has a lot of different layers and a lot of different realms. And I say realms in my own definition of realms, but it just has a lot of different fields that, you know, when someone says psychology, we all know what we're thinking, but you know, to break it down, there's just so many different outlets in psychology, uh, experimental psychology, humanistic psychology, research-based psychology, um, industrial psychology. Just There's just a ton of different psychologies. So a little insight on psychology. So Frederick Pearl, founder of Gestalt Psychology, it's a really interesting method that he uh, coined or he came up with. However, I'm not going to dive in that today. Uh, we're specifically talking about self-actualization and we're going to be using Maslow's hierarchy of needs to kind of understand that a little more. So, um, for today's episode, I wanted to bring you guys some, you know, some real, real stuff that, you know, that you can see, um, and then stuff you can just kind of look up. So, so what I did was I gathered some definitions from the internet, specifically Google and my old, dusty, rusty textbooks. You know, I paid a lot of money for these textbooks, so I figured I might as well use them. If you're, for those of you that don't know what self-actualization is, this is awesome because I'm going to give you different perspectives, definitions on it, including my own. For those of you that do know what self-actualization is, I hope it's a good refresher. I hope it just brings back some good memories from your psych one-on-one classes or wherever you learned it from. So self-actualization. So I'm going to jump in and read the definition of self-actualization from my textbook, A Modern History of Psychology, written by C. James Goodwin. This definition is um, straight from the glossary. So if you want to cite my sources, that's exactly where it's at. And it's in the back of the glossary. So fifth edition, don't forget. So this definition for humanistic psychologists, a state in which people have reached their full potential. I'm going to read it one more time. I'm going to condense it. The definition of self-actualization. A state in which people have reached their full potential. A little bit of time to digest that. So now I'm going to go ahead and jump in, read Google's version of self-actualization. Realization of or fulfillment of one's talents and potentialities. I'm going to read that again. Google's definition of self-actualization. Realization of 
or fulfillment of one's talents and potentialities. All right. Awesome. So that's what self-actualization is. If you're like, I still don't get it. That's okay. We're going to break it down. Now I'm going to read a passage from the same textbook in modern history of psychology. A history of modern psychology. Man, I hope I've been saying that right. A history of modern psychology. I'm going to read a couple pass or a, a couple paragraphs from this book in regards to Abraham Maslow describing who he is. Again, I paid, I, I don't know how much, I don't really want to remember how much I paid for these books, so I'm going to go ahead and use them. You know, use, use my resources. Again, if you want to sign my sources, um, I will have them in my description for my episode. But I am on page 381 of A Modern, A History of Modern Psychology by C. James Goodwin. Shout out to Mr. Goodwin. Maslow. Maslow was trained as an experimental psychologist and researched dominance behavior in primates with Harry Harlow. Funny how the universe works like that. If you read these, Maslow, Harlow, what's up with that? Anyways. But later exchanged what he saw as a sterile and reductionist scientific approach for the more holistic humanistic strategy. He once wrote that laboratory psychology was fine for the laboratory, but that it was useless at home with your wife, kids, friends, and it's not a guide to living, to values, to choices. End quote. Quoted in Grogan. 2013, page 58. Maslow made his shift from experimental to humanistic psychology. Maslow is now known to all students in general psychology for his hierarchy of needs, a model that proposed a series of need systems arranged in a pyramid with lower level and more primitive needs at the bottom and accumulating with the goal of self-actualization at the top. Achieving self-actualization required satisfying all the needs below it, physiological needs, safety needs, the need for love and belonging, and the need for self-esteem in that order. Maslow argued that studying self-actualization in contrast with a strategy focused on psychological disorders would produce a healthier psychology. As he put in a famous quote, the study of crippled, stunted, immature, and unhealthy specimens can yield only a cripple psychology. The study of self-actualizing people must be the basis for a more universal science of psychology. Maslow, 1954, page 234, end quote. This guy is a motherfucking G, and let me explain to you why. So, like I said, the realms, if, if you will, these factions of psychology back in the day, just like anything in the world, everyone's competing and, you know, looking for the newest and latest and greatest breakthroughs of stuff. So Maslow is one of these pioneers in the humanistic psychology world where he basically kicked down a door and said, I'm Abraham Maslow and we're going to be focusing on how to be better versions of ourselves. He didn't really say that, but... He wasn't afraid to step out of his comfort zone and be like, yo, you know, this is good in this area, but is this applicable in these other realms? So I respect Mr. Maslow for that. So that's who Abraham Maslow is. Now I'm going to talk about his hierarchy of needs, those 
the physiological needs, safety needs, belong, belongingness, and love needs, esteem needs, and then self-actualization. So I want you to picture a pyramid. You know, much like those nutrition pyramids that no one ever pays attention to or uses. So think of that pyramid. And now we're going to break it into four segments, which gives us five spaces. So the very bottom of that pyramid is your basic needs. Your basic needs are going to cover um, food, shelter, air, clothes, your basic needs, stuff that's going to make you, or not make you, but everything you need to survive. If you don't have any water, you're going to dehydrate and die. If you don't have food, you're going to starve and die. You don't have air, you're going to, you're going to die. So these are your basic needs. On a physiological level, you need these needs in order to survive, to keep your brain working, to keep your bodies working, to keep your organs going. That's why it's called physiological needs. Now move a step upwards, right above that step of physiological needs is safety needs. So safety needs, security, employment, resources, health, property. I would describe this as being secured. You're not worrying about where you're going to get your next check from. You're not worried about living, you know, one month in one place and then moving another month to the next place. You're not worried about that. You're stable. You know, you're, you're secure. Excuse me. Hence the safety needs. So move it on up to the third level. You have belongingness and love needs. Now that's kind of self-explanatory. Belongingness, love needs is um, relationships, intimacy, you know, having love, having trustworthy friendships, connections, belonging to something. You're not the outcast that's just trying to fit in. You fit in somewhere. You have your people. You have a circle. That is that third level. Now, the fourth level is esteem needs. Esteem needs is, you know, you can break it down yourself, self-esteem. Your, the respect that you have from others, your accomplishments, the, you know, how you feel about yourself. Um, feeling prestige, feeling, feeling some type of strength, recognition, status. That's um, esteem needs. So at the very top of that pyramid, you have self-actualization. In which self-actualization is that f- unlocking that full potential. So like the book described, Maslow believed in order to reach that self-actualization top of the tier pyramid, you had to get through these levels first in order to get to that top tier. Now, it's not necessarily like you have to accomplish every single, like you have to accomplish every single one of those things inside that level in order to move to the next I would describe it as a sliding scale. So you can adjust, you know, certain things where, you know, you have your food, you have your shelter, and, you know, you have your basic needs. Safety needs, you know, sure. You know, if you're confident in your income and you know that you're always going to have some type of income, then employment, having that steady employment may not feel, may not be something that you necessarily need in order to move to the next level because you know that you're always going to have that type of security. So, in that, in that, in that essence, you know, um, belongingness and love needs, uh, family, you know, you can just have your family or, you know, you cannot have your family and have, you know, the family that you choose around you and, you know, the intimacy, 
you have your own intimacy, you know, whether with a partner or, you know, uh, intimacy with your friends, it's, you know what I'm saying? So it's not exactly like you have to have this, you have to have that in order to move on up to the next level. Um, but I would definitely say for physiological needs, you would have to have pretty much majority of that in order to move on to the next level. Cause you're going to be, you know, not alive maybe. So to sum it all up, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is essentially looking at where you're at in your physiological needs, your security, your relationships, your self-esteem. And then once you get, once you have those four covered, then you're able to focus on self-actualization, which is your self-fulfillment, your full potential, unlocking that full potential. <clears throat> now, to add some context to this, and I'm pretty sure you you might have been thinking of some of your own personal experiences before. I hope this is registering in your guys' mind like it, it registers in mind. So this is why I'm providing this example. So when I was in college, I was a broke college kid, just like many other college kids out there. I was, you know, constantly worried about my bills. I was constantly worried about whether I was going to eat, you know, like I was, that was just something that was constantly on my mind. It was like, I do have to make sure I'm eating and I'm working to eat because if I don't, I'm not going to eat. So that was a huge distraction for myself with school and just in general. Um, and you know, that, 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 that hindered me in a way that I didn't truly understand because I was living in a world that, you know, I didn't always have to worry about, I didn't always question whether I was going to eat or not and relying on myself to provide that for me. Thankfully I've had my parents where they utilize their resources and, you know, they were hardworking people, you know, they always kept us fed. For myself, it was, you know, I was fresh out of high school when I got into college, learning how to, you know, after, you know, living on uh, campus my freshman year, having to, you know, get a job, having to balance everything out, um, food, groceries, budgeting and all that good stuff. You know, I had an idea of it. I worked in high school. I wasn't, you know, getting a job wasn't hard. Doing all that stuff wasn't hard, but learning how to do it in a way that was most efficient and you know, figuring out how to be a student all at the same time, that was hard. So, you know, those, that basic need was kind of being met, but it kind of wasn't at the same time. So it was hard for me to kind of focus on my security. Well, that security and the physiological needs, you know, they kind of bounced off each other. So once I was there, it was, it was just kind of hard to balance it all out. So what I'm basically saying is, getting your, your physiological needs is something that you are still, you know, if you haven't thought about it and you are realizing that, you know, I, I constantly have to worry about that too. You know what I'm saying? That is something I want you to take a look at and just observe and just, you know, think about it. Like how would it be different if I didn't have to worry about that? I'm just going to leave it at that. So moving forward, um, We'll go into the vegetables. A little less dense, but very good and nutritious. Mindfulness and awareness. Mindfulness and awareness. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to read these definitions my from my textbook and from Google. 
and then we'll go ahead and discuss it. Alrighty, mindfulness. So I'm going to go ahead and read mindfulness, um, the definition from my other textbook called Becoming an Effective Psychotherapist by Derek Truska. Shout out to Derek, keeping it true out there for us. Mindfulness-based psychotherapy helps clients to pay attention to sensory experiences. Sensory experiences are something you feel with physical senses. And mental contents in the present moment, deliberately and intentionally, in a non-elaborative and non-judgmental way. Now I'm going to read that again. Again, sensory experiences are something you feel with physical senses. Mindfulness-based psychotherapy help clients to pay attention to sensory experiences and mental contents in the present moment, deliberately and intentionally, in a non-elaborative and non-judgmental way. Now I'm going to go ahead and read mindfulness from Google. A mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations used as a therapeutic technique. Going to read that one more time. Mindfulness defined by Google. A mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations used as a therapeutic technique. Good. Glad we got it. Awareness training. Our awareness. In the book, it's defined as awareness training. I'm just using awareness as short. But awareness training defined in another textbook of mine. Awareness training defined by Behavior Modification Principles and Procedures, 5th edition, by Raymond G. Millenberger. I know a Raymond. And I got this straight from the glossary. So if you got that book, it's straight out of the glossary. Awareness training. A component of the habit reversal process procedure. We will learn about that a little later. In which the person is taught to identify each instance of a particular habit behavior as it occurs. Awareness training. A component of the habit reversal process procedure in which the person is taught to identify each instance of a particular habit behavior as it occurs. All right, now I'm going to go ahead and read awareness defined by Google. Awareness, knowledge or perception of a situation or fact. Awareness defined by Google, knowledge or perception of a situation or fact. So those two definitions, they kind of vary differently. Um, one's a little more precise, although other one's a little more broad. So awareness and mindfulness. Now I'm going to go ahead and break it down and add some context to that. Here's a, here's a way of, you know, here's a daily way that you use mindfulness. You all use mindfulness and you know, whether you're, you're aware of it or not, um, Valentine's Day, me and my girlfriend, me and my lovely lady, 
have um, Valentine's dinner here at home. Because your boy be cooking it up in the kitchen, you know what I mean? Anyways, so, you know, lovely dinner. Super nice, super sweet, you know what I'm saying? We do what we do. Enjoying our time, man. Just, you know, doing what we do. Completely in our own world. Well, where I live, it's a decent neighborhood. That's all I'm going to say. We heard this blood scream murder scream from a grown ass man that scared the shit out of me as a grown ass man as someone that, you know what I'm saying? has been around the block a couple of times and seen some things that shit scared me. That shit put me in my like flight or flight response and motherfucker. I was ready to, I was ready to flight. You know what I'm saying? I was not ready. You know what I'm saying? I was ready to take, I was ready to take flight. So, and for for the people out there, you know, that come from where I come from, I don't mean take flight by taking flight. I mean take flight, but I'm going to get my ass out of here. And I was in my own home. Believe that. Can you believe that? I was in my own home, in my own house with my door locked. And this, this I just heard this scream. We both did. And I was, I was scared. I ain't going to lie. I ain't going to front. This is just, you know, we just heard this random screaming. And at that moment, I had to gather myself. I had to like... I had to assess the situation because there's some dude screaming, just bloody murder outside. And so I had to breathe. I had to gather myself and bring myself back because it did take me to another place. You know, when I heard that, it, I that flight or flight response is real. It took me somewhere else. I wasn't in the living room with my lovely lady on the couch no more talking about, you know, you and I sitting in a tree. We were, you know, I, it took me into another world and, you know, and so I had to gather myself. And so in that moment, I started breathing in and out. I had to, you know, take deep breaths, uh, control myself because I noticed my body was tense and I had this real heavy um, pressure on my chest and I had to breathe and relax and calm my nerves down. That, my friends, is mindfulness. Like you are, you know, you are being aware of your thoughts. You're being aware of, you know, your, your sensory experiences, what you're feeling in your body. So another example is when COVID started, my girl was all over the news. She was on it. She was finding out information. You know what I'm saying? Um, she was figuring out what, what, what was going on in the world. You know, we have people, we have elderly people that we had to take care of you know, our loved ones. We wanted to protect them. So we were just, you know, listening to the news, trying to figure things out. Well, every day was different. You know, at that time, the beginning of March, everything was just so new. And so, you know, we didn't know what was going on. We just, just like everyone else, sitting on the edge of the seat and are looking at our phones, figuring things out. Well, one day I came home from work. She's breaking it down. She got all the 411 and everything about the mask, about, you know, the droplets, um, you know, the ventilations, what's happening, all that stuff. And, she was giving me anxiety straight up. She just was just, she was talking about everything and she was giving me anxiety. But the reason why I was getting anxiety was because the way she was telling me she was very tense. She was very, you know, short in breath. There wasn't a lot of pauses between the words and sentences. I can see her body language was just pretty tight. You know what I'm saying? She was like in a little ball kind of, but she was pretty like, not not really, but you know what I'm saying? She was just, you know, she was coming at me. She was spitting facts. 
she's right there and I'm just like, I, and I can feel it. I'm starting to feel overwhelmed and I'm like, dude, like I just, I, I need a break from this. But anyways, being the person that I am, I slipped a little one, two in there, a little pat pat, hit her one time. And I was like, quick question. I was like, how do you feel right now? As soon as I said that, it brought her back. She paused for a second and she looked at me with that crazy look in her eye that she had just a second ago and was like, I feel tense. I feel like I can't breathe. Like I feel, I feel heavy. And then she looked at me like, you motherfucker. It's what I do, baby. So anyways, in that, that, that right there is, you know, a portion of mindfulness, you know, bringing your senses back, you know, being present in the moment, being present with what you're feeling. She felt, she had felt, she was feeling anxiety. She was feeling overwhelmed. And the, you know, the moment that there was a break in that train of thought that, you know, made her focus on that, the, her present moment of her body and her thoughts, it gave her that, that leverage to, to calm herself down and kind of just, you know, slowly get back out of that mental state. Mindfulness is, is awesome. It's, it's superior, top tier. And also I'd like to add, so that's the sensory experiences. Now the thoughts, the thought part where you're being mindful when you're not judging yourself and you're not being, uh, elaborative, I would describe elaborative as storytelling. You know what I'm saying? Like you start to believe, you start to connect the dots with your thoughts and start having bad thoughts. You know what I mean? That's being elaborative with your thoughts. So in while you're being mindful in that state of mindfulness, you're paying attention to your physical body, um, whether you're sweating, cold, hot, tense, you know, whatever. And then you're also paying attention to your thoughts without prying at them and adding to them and, you know, making stories in your head and just running with them. We all do it. I do it. I do it every day. But what helps me bring me back is I need to tell myself, observe that thought, Joel. Just just an example. You know, I could have a friend tell me one thing, send me a text and be like, yo, yada, yada, yada. And then I can take that thought and, and, and text and be like, huh, did he mean it like this? Or do you mean it like that? Well, the other day when, you know, we're kicking it, he had said something like this and, you know, it kind of came off this way. You know what I'm saying? That's where, that's what I mean. It's you're, you're making these stories up in your head. And instead of just, instead of doing that, you, you know, I tell myself, observe your thought, Joel. And you're probably going to, it's weird. It's super weird. It took me like months, you know, to kind of figure out, what that really meant to observe your thoughts. What's a good reminder is to tell yourself your thoughts are not your reality. Remember that your thoughts are not your reality. That really helped me understand that, you know, what's going on in here in my mind is in my mind. You know what I'm saying? It's not real. It's something that I'm solely making up in my head it's just, that's just part of our thoughts. That's just how we think about things. Awareness. You are paying attention to a certain behavior, a certain trigger, a certain habit. Um, that's the difference between mindfulness and awareness. When you're being aware, you're being aware of a behavior of some sort. You're not exactly paying attention in that mindfulness state of your body 
Um, you're, you're more looking at a recipe of why something is happening, like what's causing this to do this. So now I'm going to go ahead and read a couple pages out of The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Charlie, my man. I do hig this book. I'm good, man. That was fucking awesome. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. It's a good day today. So, the power of habit. I'm going to read a little passage real quick. Um, again, if you want to cite my sources, I'm going to be reading from page 74 to 76. All right. We're going to be reading about Little Miss Mandy. And now I want you to think about um, mindfulness, awareness, what we just described. And then uh, remember that word, our phrase, the, the habit reversal process. This, this book will talk about the re- reversal, the habit reversal process, um, a little more detailed than I could um, without me rambling. So I'm going to go ahead and read this. All right. So let's go ahead and read about little Miss Mandy and her nail biting habit. I know a few people out there that can relate to this. All right. In the summer of 2006, a 24 year old graduate student named Mandy walked into the counseling center at Mississippi state university. For most of her life, Mandy had been her nails gnawing at them until they bled. Lots of people bite their nails for chronic nail biters. However, it's a problem of a different scale. Mandy would often bite until her nails pulled away from the skin underneath. Her fingertips were covered in with tiny scabs. The end of her fingers had become blunted with na- without nails to protect them, and sometimes they tingled or itched, a sign of nerve injury. The biting habit had damaged her social life. She was so embarrassed around her friends that she kept her hands in her pockets, and on dates would become preoccupied with balling her fingers into fists. She had tried to stop by painting her nails with foul-tasting polishes or promising herself, starting right now, that she would master the willpower to quit. But as soon as she began doing homework or watching television, her fingers ended up in her mouth. The counseling center referred Mandy to a doctoral psychology student who was studying a treatment known as habit reversal training. The psychologist was well acquainted with the golden rule of habit change. He knew that changing Mandy's nail-biting habit required inserting a new routine into her life. What do you feel right before you bring your hand up to your mouth to bite your nails? He asked her. There's a little bit of tension in my fingers. You like that? Mandy said. It hurts a little bit here at the edge of the nail. Sometimes I'll run my thumb along looking for hangnails, and when I feel something catch, I'll bring it up to my mouth. Then I'll go finger by finger, biting all the rough edges. Once I start, it feels like I have to do them all. Asking patients to describe what triggers their their habitual behavior is called awareness training. And like AA's, Alcohol Anonymous, insistence on forcing alcoholics to recognize their cues is the first step in habit reversal training. The tension that Mandy felt in her nails cued her nail-biting habit. Most people's habits have occurred for so long that they don't pay attention to what causes it anymore, said Brad Dufresne, who treated Mandy. I've had stutterers come in and I'll ask them which words or situations trigger their stuttering, and they won't know because they stopped noticing so long ago. Awareness. Next, the therapist asked Mandy to describe why she bit her nails. 
At first, she had trouble coming up with reasons. As they talked, though, it became clear that she bit when she was bored. The therapist put her in some typical situations, such as watching television, doing homework, and she started nibbling. When she had worked through all of her nails, she felt a brief sense of completeness. She said, that was the habit's reward, a physical stimulation she had come to crave. Now they break down Maddie's habit loop. This habit loop is a little illustration of a cue, a routine, and a reward. So, Mandy's cue was attention in her fingers, and her, the routine of that was biting on it, you know, putting her mouth, biting on those little scabs, whatever she, whatever it was that she would bite on. And then at the end of it all, so it wasn't just one finger. You remember, she did that to all of her fingers. And so when she did that to all of her fingers, she sat, she felt a brief, a brief sense of completeness. That was her reward. So now let me go ahead and read the rest of the page. At the end of their, their first ses- session, the therapist sent Mandy home with an assignment. Carry around an index card, and each time you feel the cue, a tension in your fingertips, make a check mark on the card. She came back to a week later with 28 checks. She was, by that point, accurately aware of the sensations that preceded her habit. She knew how many times it occurred during class or while watching television. That's why he made her check mark how many times she did that. Then the therapist taught Mandy what is known as a competing response. Whenever she felt that tension in her fingertips, he told her she should immediately put her hands in her pockets or under her legs or grab a pencil or something else that made it impossible to put her fingers in her mouth. Hence the competing response. Then Mandy was so was to search for something that would provide a quick physical stimulation, such as rubbing her arm or wrapping her knuckles on a desk, anything that would produce a physical response. The cues and rewards stayed the same, only the routine changed. They practiced in the therapist's office for about 30 minutes, and Mandy was sent home with a new assignment. Continue with the index card, but make a check when you feel the tension in your fingertips. A hash mark when you successfully override the habit. So check for the tension in the fingertips and a a hash mark when she successfully overrides the habit. A week later, Mandy had bitten her nails only three times and had used the competing response seven times. She rewarded herself with a manicure but kept using the note cards. After a month, the nail biting habit was gone. The computing routines had become automatic. One habit had replaced another it seems ridiculously simple, but once you, re- you are aware of how your habit works, you recognize the cues and rewards. You're halfway to changing it, Nathan Azarin, one of the developers of Habit Reversal Training, told me. It seems like it should be more complex. The truth is the brain can be reprogrammed. You just have to be deliberate about it. Today, habit reversal therapy is used to treat verbal and physical physical tics, depression, smoking, gambling problems, anxiety, bedwetting, procrastination, obsessive compulsive disorders, and other behavioral problems. And its techniques lay bare one of the fundamental principles of habits. Often we don't really understand the cravings driving our behaviors until we look for them. Mandy never realized that a craving for physical stimulation was causing her nail-biting but once she dissected the habit, it became easy to find a new routine that provided the same reward. 
All right. And that is the story of Mandy. Uh, that is from The Power of Habit. I highly recommend it. It is a great book. Um, it does bring in a lot of good research and also has a really good context and um, examples that are easy to follow and easy to um, understand. So highly recommend it. Shout out again, Charles Duhigg. So awareness, mindfulness. Um, again, disclaimer, if this is something that, you know, you're highly uh, interested in or, it's, you know, you're again, you're just... Your, your synapses in your brain are firing off right now, and you're like, dude, that's what's up. I'm learning something. First and foremost, that's what's up. Secondly, do you know, if you are able to do that, you're in a position where you're able to reach out and, um, you know, speak to a therapist or a psychologist or a counselor, um, do that. You know what I'm saying? Having that other person that's there to help you and guide you and coach you, specifically like that, it's going to, you know, excel this process so much more easier and just so much more than you would doing it on your own. Now, what I'm doing is sharing this information with you because I've done it myself in uh, my own ways. Um, and I will share that at the end of this. Yeah, that is awareness and mindfulness and the importance of awareness and mindfulness. It's hot, man. It's just hot. I'm burning up in here. So now let's go ahead and move forward. Appreciate that. Appreciate y'all. Really do. It's a lot of information. And thank you for keeping up and doing what you do. All right. Now I'm going to jump into the portion of talking about, you know, putting this all together and some guidance behind it all. So first and foremost, I want you to start with checking yourself. Now, if you walk a similar path as I do, I mean it exactly what I'm saying. I want you to check yourself. Like you used to hear those little kids on the playground be like, Hey fool, check that fool. Check that fool, fool. So I want you to check yourself. And I really mean that. Do it with passion and do it with authenticity. Checking yourself by identifying what is it that you're trying to be better at. You know, focus on, focus on one thing at a time. Cause if you're trying to do it all at once, um, it's not going to be a fun road. It's going to be a very bumpy road and it's going to be just a lot of, you know, exhaustion, fatigue and a lot of doubt along the way. So I highly recommend if you are taking this and thinking about doing some type of you know, awareness in your life a little more, do one thing at a time. So identify what is it that you're trying to be better at. Identify if there's something new that you're trying to implement, a new habit, such as, you know, eating healthier, adding exercise, or if you're, you know, trying to work on your communication, focus on one thing at a time. So identify that, identify what it is that you're trying to work on. Now, the next part of that is checking your willingness. I want you to check your willingness. I have a little exercise. Figure out how to check that. I want you to write a priority list. I want you to write 10 items. It's going to sound like a lot, but I promise you, you'll be able to fill that list up. But I need you to fill that list up of 10 items. We're going to figure out where is your willingness to participate in being better. So make a list, 
one being the top top of the list, ten being the least. Now, if your willingness isn't at the very top, or if it isn't you know top three, top five, that's okay. This is not for, this is this is not for me to you know make you you know of course you into hitting that at the top of the list. That's okay. Again, going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, maybe your priority list right now is to get some security. Maybe it's you're trying to look for some housing right now. Maybe you're trying to look for you know better employment or find employment. Dude, that's fine. A okay. Take care of you. Take care of your basic needs first. Move on forward, and whenever you're you're ready, that's okay. So check your willingness, because it all starts with you. If you don't make the decision to be better, or you don't have that drive or will to be better, it's not it's not going to stick. Okay, They're, you're going to have bad days, and, you, and these bad days are going to come. And even on good days, you know, sometimes you know. You don't necessarily need to have a bad day. Someday you're going to have a, just a nonchalant day. You're going to be like, do I want to do this or do I not want to do this? Those can almost be just as bad as those bad days. So that willingness needs to come from you. Make that decision. Stand up and make a choice. You do that for yourself. I promise you that willingness is going to show up. If there's a will, there's a way. Step one, check yourself. Now two, step two. After you've done all this, you know, introspective thinking, reflecting on your life and what you want to be better at, because you know you're a badass and you're going to be better, you have to execute. And you also have to hold yourself accountable. There's no justice in you thinking super hard just for you to not execute. You know what I mean? What I want you to do and think back to the, you know, that story that I read from the power of habit, that habit reversal training, you know, this is an example, again, disclaimer, use at your own discretion. This is just information I'm passing on to you, not promising any results or anything that it's all up to you. It's all your, it's your journey, your willingness. It's your life. So habit reversal training is a good way for you to figure out what's triggering that routine, that cue that triggers that routine. And then what kind of reward that comes out of it? You know what I'm saying? You can come up with a plan, your own system, whatever the way that you understood this, you know, all this information, trust yourself, use that and figure out what you're trying to replace. If it's not a behavioral thing, if it's something that you're trying to, you know, implement more of, I highly recommend journaling, you know, writing, writing your days. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, a writing every hour on the hour. You know, you could just do a summary at the end of the day. Um, you could start with, this is what I want to do. And then end with a summary of, you know, this is what I did do. Journaling is a great way for, you know, your creative writers out there. Um, shout out to all you creative writers. That's one, that's another good way. One way that's, I, I do it personally. Me, I personally, record myself this way is I record videos of me. I know it sounds weird, but I would, you know, set my phone up, prop it up against something and I'll sit in front of a camera and I would just do basically a video diary, a vlog, whatever you want to call it. I will sit there and talk about what's going on in my thoughts. So, you know, like earlier today, I, was at lunch and I was going home for lunch and I had this thought, this thought ran through my mind and I want to talk about it. I want to, you know what I'm saying? That is that awareness. You know, you're talking about it. You're bringing more attention to whatever it is in that specific area that you're trying to be better at. So 
journaling or videos, I highly recommend it for me. It allows me to capture my body language. It allows me to capture my tone. It, you know, when I'm super energetic and I'm talking about something that I'm like, dude, like today was a badass day. You wouldn't even imagine what happened today. I get that in that video and quite the opposite, man, today sucked. I just wanted to go home. I just, you know, was counting down the minutes and each minute went slower than the last minute. You know what I mean? So that's me. I like that. I encourage you to do that as well. My last suggestion, and I hope you appreciate this is guess what? You guessed it. Getting started. My ebook. Go check it out now if you haven't got it at joelsmind.com. Getting started is a ebook that he created. It's, you know, revolves around just this getting started on doing something, whether you want to change your behavior, whether you want to, you know, set a goal to lose weight, where you're trying to, you know, get into a certain job. Getting started talks about the realities, the perspectives, um, obstacles things to expect when you're getting started all over again, whether you started once you, whether you've done it before or you're just starting for the first time, check it out. It's only 11 pages, man. I send it to you directly myself through my website, trollsmind.com copy. If you don't got it. So getting started comes with a brick by brick planner. Now this planner was uniquely designed and handcrafted by yours truly. Yep. That's me. I designed it. I designed it specifically to help people haven't had to ask these questions or don't have these kind of, these kind of conversations often or, um, you know, with themselves. So this planner is broken down in a way that allows you to keep that goal in mind and write down what you're going to do that day on how, like what you're going to do to achieve that goal. And then that same day, in that same row, there's a section right next to that says, what did you notice? And that section, it talks about what you noticed about yourself and about your day. But today I noticed I was a little more motivated than I was yesterday and the day before that. Just a quick example. And then that last section is reflection. There's a little section where you can reflect on both on what you did and what you noticed about it. And combine those two together and reflect on to where you're at and achieving your goal and what you notice about yourself and how you're noticing your, your attitudes, your, your mind and your body. It's a great planner. Again, if you, if this is something new to you and this is something you want to implement, I highly recommend checking out the planner. It's, you know, it's just a tool. It's just a resource. It's again, not promising you any results because it all depends on you. It's just a tool out there. And that is at joelsmind.com. All right. So last is patience, 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 patience is a virtue. Patience is super important in anything that you do. The reason for that is because frustration is a killer. It is a Debbie downer and it will suck the energy right out of you quicker than your mama's vacuum. All right. Patience is super critical and super necessary when you are just working on yourself in general. And you know, it's a good habit to have in life. The reason why I say that is because if you don't have patience, you're going to get frustrated quickly. And if you know that, acknowledge that, be aware of it. If you're not a patient person, 
it's going to be a little tougher because you're going to expect some results. And um, if you're antsy like me, you're going to be monitoring it a little more than you probably should. So when you have patience, that allows you to acknowledge that, you know, I am trying, I'm doing my best. So that way you don't burn yourself out. When I noticed when I was in college and I was trying to bounce back from a lot of my mistakes and failures, I was super impatient and I wasn't being realistic with myself. And that really set me back more than I was more than where I, where I had started originally. So my suggestion, my advice is to be patient. And the reason for that is because you have your whole life to work on yourself. Okay. Take it day by day. There's nothing wrong with that. One step at a time. You have your whole life to work on it. You know, God willing that you got 99 years left. Hopefully that's what you're wanting, but you know what? Today's the present focus on today. Tomorrow is a mystery. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring you. So don't overwhelm yourself. If you're starting to overwhelm yourself, use that mindfulness, use that awareness and check in on yourself and be like, Hey, I'm starting to feel stressed out. My palms are sweaty. I eat mom spaghetti. I vomited on my sweater. Oh man, I'm killing y'all. What's up? Let's go, man. Subscribe to me. Let's go. All right. So all jokes aside, notice your body. You're feeling tense. You know, you feel that tightness on the back of your neck. You're hunched over a little bit. You have this, you know, elephant on your chest, but acknowledge that. That's when you check in and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing it one day at a time. You know what I'm saying? And you know, that accountability, that tracking, those videos, the journaling brick by brick planner is going to help you acknowledge that. And then you're also going to be able to look back and be like, man, look at my progress. Look at, look at how I started from day one to day 30. Dude, quick, quick example. I lost weight. I always, I'm always striving to lose weight. Everyone is all right. You know what I'm saying? But a friend of mine was like, progress pictures, progress pictures every day, man, take them. I said, bet, dude, even in three days, I noticed a difference. Okay. I mean, these are pictures, it's losing weight. You can see the difference. You know, it's, it, it's a, it's a lot more different compared to like behavior and, you know, regulating yourself. But this is what tracking does. This is what holding yourself accountable does. You can look back and be like two weeks ago, I was doing good. I was killing it. And now I'm struggling this week. You know what that tells me? I, I am capable of doing it, but today, this week is just a hard week. So let's just keep on pushing forward. That's what it does, man. You, you gotta be, you gotta be fair with yourself. You gotta be realistic. You know, you are a badass and I know you are. And I know you know that you are and you can't just beat yourself up. Um, just because you're not getting it right then and there. You're going to get it. You just got to keep working at it. And so with that, I say, be kind, be kind with yourself, be kind to you. And just keep trying, man. Just acknowledge that. You know, I, I'm the biggest person out there. I'm the one that's like, you know, I could do anything I set my mind to. And I truly, truly, truly believe that so much that I get mad when I'm not there. But it's like, come on, bro. You haven't, you haven't got off the couch in, I don't know how many years you expect to run a mile in under 10 minutes. Come on, dog. But I can do it. I can do it. 
in a couple more months. How about that? You know what I mean? So, you know what I'm saying? Just be kind. Just be be aware. And uh, don't be an asshole to you. Don't be an asshole to you. Because when you're an asshole to you, you're an asshole to everyone else. And everyone else knows you're being an asshole. So don't be an asshole because you matter. Like, you are your biggest cheerleader. You are your biggest fan. You're the only one that's going to be there when no one else is there. When I'm talking about, I'm talking about in your mind. You are in your mind. So if you're treating yourself like crap, dude, just give yourself a big hug. Listen to some motivational videos on YouTube in the background when you're at work or when you're just, you know, you're having a, a fit in your head and you're just beating yourself up. Listen to anything else that's not your mind. Okay. I've been there. I've done that. And I've actually did that. And it really, really helped me get out of a bad mental space. So highly encourage it. Keep striving. Keep working. Be nice to yourself. You know why? Because it's going to reflect. It's going to shine out. And so... With that, I'm going to lead perfect segue into my personal story. All right. So I want to share experience with y'all that really helped me understand the power of being mindful and aware and that it is possible to do. I want to share with you a story between my lovely queen and I. There was a point in our life where... We weren't meeting our basic needs. Our security wasn't really being met. Our belongingness and love needs was disrupted. Our financially, we were, you know, we were making ends meet, but barely, you know what I'm saying? Our safety was, our employment was, both of ours was undetermined. We were just like, you know, this is only going to get us this, this far. So this is as far as we got. So we didn't have that security of reliable employment. Our resources were very low. We didn't really have many resources at that time. And our belongingness, our friends were, you know, we just graduated. So all our friends had left um, the town that we were living in, our our college town. And um, that really took a toll on us without us really realizing it. Um, And again, a lot of these needs were not, you know, being met. And, uh, it was really hard for us at that time. So like many couples, we fought, we argued our arguments, our fights, they lasted daily and they lasted for hours. That's not, there's not a way to live for anyone. No one should be fighting for days and for hours and no one should be, be in that type of mental state days on end. On top of that, adding all that extra stress. So, on this particular day, um, we were getting an argument, and you know, like we typically would. I was very angry. She was very angry. Both of both of us were heated. Both of us were, you know, peacocking. My, you know, we both were peacocking. We both, you know, had sweat on our eyebrows. We both, you know, what I'm saying like our sensory experiences. They were there. You know, we were um, feeling. All types of different ways. We were being loud. We were, you know, very tense, very, uh, very, our looks and our face were very distant. You know what I mean? You know, we were there, but we weren't there. Um, and that, that was, that was really hard. So during that time, this was, you know, an ongoing thing. So during that time, I had told myself, I said, you know what, Joel, you're going to do something about it. You're not, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to go down without a fight. 
because it was in both of our minds where our relationship was very, we didn't know where it was going to take us, especially the way we were treating each other. And, um, so I said, what are you going to do to make this better? What are you going to do to, you know, try and fix this? Which that's a heavy question. That's, that's a, that's a very hard question, especially when you're mad, especially when you're just like, everything is just not working in your favor, man. That's, that's a really hard thing to do. So if there's anyone out there and you're like, damn, I need to do that. Just understand that that's you. That's a lot of, you know, you gotta be, like I said, check yourself. You gotta be willing to do that. And I did. I checked myself. I was willing to be like, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure I did everything that I could in my power to make this work. Cause if this ends up failing and this, this doesn't work, I'm going to be able to accept that I tried really hard and I tried everything. There, there I go. I'm talking to myself one day and just like, look, Joe, the way you guys are talking to each other, that needs to stop. The way you guys are arguing, that needs to stop. This, 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 this needs to stop. That we were in our kitchen. Loud peacocking, you know, having that that very toxic, angry energy spewing out of us. And we're sitting there yelling at each other. And this thought ran across my mind. And this thought was, you're doing it again. You're doing it right now. Look at the way you're talking to her. And man, I have not snapped back into reality so fast in my life before. I became present. I realized what was going on. I realized that I'm like, dude, this is, this is it. This is, this is exactly it. This is the routine. We are in the routine right now. We are arguing. We are fighting. What are you going to do about it? So immediately my vision starts to clear up. I start to like, I'm starting to see the room. I'm starting to see her. Things are starting to, you know, come into perspective. I'm like, Okay. I realize, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't just walk away in that area, in that instant, you know, you can't just turn around and walk away. I mean, you can, but like, I slowly started pulling myself back and I'm like, all right, I need to lower my tone. I need to be present with my words. I need to be present with the argument. We need to, you know, find the exit out of this. And so I did, I slowly, surely, you know, I was able, you know, to kind of slow, slow things down. I should say slow myself down. The reason why I say that is because, and this is the most hardest part to, you know, tell you guys, and this is what really broke my heart, and this is what really opened my eyes and motivated me to fucking make this change. As I was doing that, I was observing my my queen. I was observing my girlfriend, and I was observing that she was just the reflection of me, and she was still in that same that same mind state. She was still. And I just, it broke my heart because I was like, I, I felt like I was looking at myself and that fucking hurt because I was like, damn dude, like you, like, this is a problem. This is a, this is a serious problem. Look at her. Look at the way she's talking to you right now. Like you're pulling back, you're falling back and she still is keeping that same energy. And there's a reason for that. That's not her fault. We are a reflection of each other and we were just so toxic. So it was in that instance that I realized that when I was looking at her and I was like, damn, dude, like this, this was a learned behavior. Like this isn't something I didn't meet her like this. This wasn't the girl that I met. And yes, I do take accountability for that. For anyone's questioning it. I do. I mean, her come from different completely backgrounds, 
And I realized, I'm like, damn, Joel, like, look, look what kind of impact you had. Like, look, look what kind of behavior you, you've instilled in someone else. And that shit was a slap in the face, man. So, I mean, if you are in a predicament or, you know, any similar experience that, that, you know, you can relate to this story right now and right now in your life, sit down and have that hard conversation with yourself because you're going to be better for it. You're going to be better for it. They're going to be better for it. And whoever is around you, you know, our neighbors, you know, those poor people, they had a pit up with us and, you know, everyone was very nice and respectful. But like I said, man, people know, like, you know, you're not fooling anyone. Your voice travels. Loud noises can be heard. You know what I'm saying? Like you just need to be aware that you're not living alone by yourself in this world with no one else. I know that sometimes it feels like that, but that's not true. Have that hard conversation with yourself, because if that means you are better off without that person, then you know what? It's going to be a slow process. It's going to be a hard process. But if you accept that and say, you know what? I am better off without this person. You're going to be better off and they're going to be better off. And you guys deserve that. Fortunately, in my situation, I have a fucking queen. I have a ride or die and she knew where she came from and she knew what she brought to the table and she was able to look at the situation and be like, you know what, there's some things we both need to work on. And that's exactly what we did. We worked on it together and, you know, instead of bless you, baby, I'm going to do something else. First thing first was keep my volume low and keep my words very, my vocabulary very short. Definitely not colorful, definitely not elaborate. And if you couldn't tell, I'm a very charismatic person. And, you know what I'm saying? I held that standard to myself. And that really helped. That was my competing response. Instead of that, you know, engaging in that routine of fighting and, you know, yelling, I made sure that I breathe and kept that conversation present even so much so that me and her were both on that each other at some point, you know, not, you know, not to discredit what I'm just saying, but like, you know, we it got to the point where we were like, all right, we need to keep the present, the conversation present. And we'd look at each other like, Ooh, you, you said it first, but all right, then I, I'm going to make sure I'm going to keep this present, but you better keep it present too. You know what I mean? Like she's my queen man. She's my everything. So we are perfect with each other in our perfectly perfect world. So, that's the story I want to share with you guys. It really matters. Your basic needs, your security needs, your love and belongingness, your esteem needs, that all matters being a better version of yourself. That helps put that in perspective that, you know, you're not acting like you because you're just trying to survive right now. You know, you're not being the best version of yourself because they're like, you know, you're working towards securing something. So don't be so hard on yourself. This is just to add some perspective and to make you think. And hopefully use it as a tool in the future for whatever it is that you need. Um, but just bear with me. Keep in mind that, you know, the point of self-actualization is to realize your full potential. Man, like that's such a good feeling. Um, self-actualization, it, you know, I, I, I believe that sums up being a better version of yourself. Um, 
because you are at this point in your life where you know who you are, you know your identity, you know who's your people, you know what you bring to the table, and you know your stomach's full, and you're you know you feel good with what you're wearing. That everything else, all those other distractions, they no longer pertain to you. You are at this moment in your life where you can run into any obstacle and handle it the way that you would handle it. You know what I mean? That's what self-actualization is to me. That's how I would define it. It is a time and a moment in your life where you are that badass motherfucker that you always thought you were. And you are able to handle the situation, any situation that you're given and overcome it in the way that you would overcome it. And accept things that you have to accept and not sit on the things that you cannot change. That's what self-actualization means to me. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, check me out on my socials, Joel's Mind Official on Instagram and Facebook. Joel's underscore mind on Twitter. Come be my first follower. I need to get active on that. And then shortly, sooner than later, once I get down on this technological um, side of things, you will find me on YouTube. You can go ahead and subscribe to me now. If you're a real one like that, and you're going to subscribe without any episodes uh, being uploaded at Joel's Mind Official on YouTube. So thank you again for tuning in. I appreciate you. Go out there and be just the best version of you. You deserve it. The people around you deserve it. I promise you, you are the beacon of light in your life. Go ahead and shine, man. You know, don't let anyone take that away from you. Most importantly, don't let you be the one that you're the reason why you're dimming that down. All right. I love you. Stay positive. Stay safe. And just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. I love you. Above all else, just try. That's all you could do is try. Just try really hard and don't give up. I promise you that's going to get you somewhere rather than nowhere. Peace.